From Rivers Barden Architects, this is Spork in the Road, a podcast featuring conversations with creative individuals about their path, craft, and passions. In this episode, our resident architects Joe Rivers and Kevin Barden visit with Mike Garman, a furniture designer and maker from Houston, Texas. You have to take designs, your projects, way past the point where you're comfortable with it, ruin them, and then bring them back. And you have to do that enough times where you can sort of end up understanding when done is, like when you're feeling good about something. But you can't understand that until you've well past (laughs) the point of like no return on something. Mike Garman has been designing and building furniture in the Houston area for nearly a decade. Joe and Kevin sat down with Mike to discuss his path to designing furniture, his use of tools, and his unique process to design. Here's Kevin, followed by Mike. Uh, yes, wh- uh, wh- where are you from, Mike? Uh, Houston. Cool. Really? Born and bred? Uh, I was born in spring, and I grew up in the woodlands, um, and... Uh, Went to college in Rhode Island. RISD? At RISD, yeah. Cool. Um, and then after that, I lived in Boston for a couple of years and, huh. uh, you know, stayed in New England. But once I decided that I wanted to sort of start making furniture and design products, I can do that way more affordably in Houston than yeah. I can in Boston. So, yeah. uh, so I came back here and, you know, struggled with you know, just making things and trying to see how that goes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What was that? So RISD, what, uh, Rhode Island School of Design, what were you, you were studying architecture, architecture. and design? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I have a degree in architecture and fine art. Okay. They sort of give you the fine art if you go to the, get the architecture. <laughs> what, what was the timeline? So you were in Rhode Island, you went to Boston. Yeah, I went to Boston for a few years after that. Um, and were you working I, in the firm? Nope. Um, it was a really weird thing. I graduated when, what, the year after 9-11. So it just, there wasn't jobs at the yeah. time when I graduated. So um, it went from like, you're good to like, you need five years of experience. I interviewed with a few places in San Francisco, one in Boston, one in Houston, but I didn't get the job. And so then you just start thinking about, is this what I want to do? Like what I want to do? So like... I got jobs uh, helping other people build furniture. I got jobs like with a green roof guy hmm. and helped him with plants. So sort of in interested areas, but not um, in architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, you just sort of do the furniture enough. And at some point you're like, I'm just going to do this because I like it and I don't care. Yeah. So, um, I'm happy doing this. Yeah, yeah. I like this. So, uh, so yeah. So I came back here after that and for a few years kind of did stuff but wasn't as like, I don't know. It, it was all maybe more of a hobby. I thought I was doing good stuff, but I don't, wouldn't show people what I was now, what I did then, I guess. Um, and uh, got into a relationship and then that sort of pushed everything back a little bit. Um, and then when that ended, I was like, I'm just going to do this for real. So that's when it started. That was like 2012, 10, 11, 12, 12, something like that. So I had my company, my furniture company for, uh, several years. Um, and then in the last two or last year, year and a half ago or so, uh, I started a company with six other people in Houston, um, called pretty cool. And most of my focus now is on that. 
it's smaller smaller home goods stuff like that mm-hmm. it's it's just hard to sell big furniture i mean sure. expensive mm-hmm. big furniture um it's hard so small things way better i can make them cheaply i can make a lot of them i can make them when i need them right um and they sell yeah yeah it's easy yeah yeah and they sell so Mm -hmm. um or if they don't sell i haven't expensed that much yeah so right how how did you meet the folks in pretty cool how do you put that together um some are friends of a couple of people Catherine. um I met Catherine. She also went to RISD, not at the same time I did, but I met her an alumni um, thing here in Houston, and we became friends. Um, and she she has a menswear, like a Thai uh, menswear line. She's a fashion designer. Um, she and I talked one day, and we're like, you know, we both are having trouble with the fact that we want to do different things that are off our brand identity. So we started talking about it and then we gathered a whole bunch of people. There's maybe 10 or 12 people that we thought of and we invited them to drinks and we all started talking and it sort of narrowed itself down to seven that wanted to do it um, and put the time and effort in. Um, it was good. So That's awesome. Yeah, it's just sort of like I knew some people, I brought some people in, she brought some people in and you know, it sort of just uh, whittled itself down into the, the group that it is. But it's a nice, there's a ceramic artist, there's myself that does furniture. Um, we have a lawyer slash spray paint artist. Um, he does really cool paintings. Um, Hmm. Carrie is the, um, is our jewelry designer and fabric engineer. Um, so she dyes a lot of fabric for us and things. Um, we have two photographers, uh, one of which takes the majority of her photos and the other one is our candle maker and incense uh, maker and stuff like that. And then we all just discuss and talk about how we want it to go. We have a weekly meeting and we just talk everything out. That's so, awesome. Yeah. It, it's kind of, it's been good. It's um, for years of just working by yourself. And like I said earlier, you know, you're sort of your own critic. Um, it's nice to have a bunch of other people helping out with things either that I don't like to do or I'm not particularly good at or just like... I brought a ton of new products in, and they'd be like, "Yeah, no, this is bad. This is bad. <laughs> <laughs> this is bad. Uh, I don't really like this one very much." Um, so, but that one over there, that one's good. Yeah, yeah. and and they help. Like, uh, I I would probably design most things in wood or uh, gray, black, and white, and uh, so they've influenced me a lot on color. So that oh, a yeah. lot of color, like pinks and greens, and that's great. Yellow. So um, they've influenced me on that a lot. So it's been a good. Um, collaboration on stuff. Yeah, Joe and I find that so often of the just the collaboration aspect of just give me the second pair of eyes for 10 seconds. What's going on here? I'm not feeling that. That's looking good. How about we do this? And it just immediately catapults anything that we're doing to another level. Yeah, I... I agree with that. It's just, it's nice to have other people looking at stuff. It's great to work with other people. Did you have a, an experience as apprenticeship under other wood furniture makers? Or? Not really. Really? Yeah. Wow. I've kind of just wow. taught myself most of it all. Wow. Uh, a few things. My dad was a sculptor, so I learned... What medium was he working My on? dad did... Uh, wood, bronze, um, 
he could sort of do whatever. Um, wow. But yeah, he did a lot of different things. But, uh, I, you know, there's no plans on how you build something you design that's all funky and weird. So, like, you're, you have to figure out how to do that. And, you know, it's all just unique things. So you have a certain set number of tools, you know what they can do, and then you sort of figure out ways to make it happen. Um, so yeah, how much, how much of your own tools are you making like that throughout? A, I make a lot. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you consider jigs, I make yeah. I make several jigs for every um, every project. Do you have a favorite tool? Like, what's your go-to? Not even what you built. <laughs> um, I, you know, there's a there's a handful of tools that I think are like you always need a palm sander and you mm-hmm. always need like a hand drill, like a cordless drill. Like those are the first two things I'd probably ever buy. And I've gone through like six of each. I like wear them out. So, um, and then I use my table saw and my band saw and I use my lathe a lot now that I'm doing things that sort of require that. Um, so those are the things I use the most. Um, I have a drill press and I have a planer. Um, my planer is my best tool. If you're going to go with that, it's a, it's 20 inches. It's five horsepower. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I built, I designed a bench, 19 inch wide bench, and I did it in layered plywood. So it had to be plain down. So I had to buy a, had to buy that. So that bench is actually in city hall. Wow. Really? Yeah. There's two of them in there and that bench won an award too. Which so. bench is that? Is that the, is that triangle? Yeah. It's got a triangle on it, each corner. Yeah. yeah that, that was one. really nice. Yeah. It, uh, but it, it, it's supported on, it's supported on each leg. It's just that it's a triangular section Mm -hmm. by itself. And then each leg is only on one half of that triangle, but it's alternated. That's all that. That's a beautiful bench. But to make that bevel, I built a sled. So I built a separate angle and shoved a whole sled into my planer and then just my top then rides on in that sled so i've just angled the bed of my planer so that it, it makes things easy it, it's still like a 150 pound thing as you're trying to like you know you know it, you don't have to go to the gym any day that you're making a bench but uh um yeah making your own tools it's so important I, one thing that came to mind i feel like in architecture now especially with bim and mm. other programs, I mean, it's basically like you're writing code, you know, for your own work. And if you didn't have, if you didn't write the code, you would spend 45 minutes trying to do something where, you know, you might be able to do it faster that first time, but you could spend 40 minutes making, yeah, writing the code or making the jig and well, then I can make as many as I want in five minutes then making one. And it's know. kind of my whole concept with the concrete. Um, I mean, I like concrete fine. Um, and it's an interesting material, but you know, in terms of making money at the products and things that you're making yourself, um, I can make one item perfectly, like I said, and then I can, continually every day cast a rubber mold of that 
right? right? And then I can cast 20 of those or 50 of those in one day, mm -hmm. as opposed to me making that one piece over and over again out of wood would take me hours, right? Whereas right. I can just, you know, ramp up production in that way. So like, that's basically one of the reasons I went, I, I do concrete because I can make it, I can do it quickly and I can, you know, can be at a pretty high level. Right, right, yeah. right, right. I feel like the more, the, the deeper you get into any profession, you're only going to yeah. discover more things until you're, you allow yourself or you give yourself permission to make tools. So I feel like so much of that is, especially as students, it's like, well, these are the tools that I have. This is what I'm working with. It's not like, it kind of blows your mind if you, no, you can make your own tools. Go ahead. Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, like to get good at something, you spend the time and the things that you need to do. And it, in, uh, in this day and age, it's hard, I think, to get people to spend the time that's necessary to like learn these crafts or learn the steps that they need to do to, to get good at it. It's also fast, yep. right? It's, it's yep. given to them so easily. Constructing a perspective versus zooming around a model for, yeah. you know. Plus, there's a lot of design that, that happens in like the computer and, and you can tell um, that like I made some cool forms in the computer and I just did this but it doesn't mean anything or doesn't relate to anything or it's not very well designed as a thing um, where you can tell that people like have a real understanding of form and shape um, when they design so what are you looking to for the future where do you hope your craft evolves what do you want to explore next I design shapes and forms, and then I figure out purposes for them often, as opposed to having a rigid, I need a paper towel holder, and then I design a paper towel. Sometimes I do that, but a lot of the times I have shapes and forms that like mature in the design process or in my head, and then, or I pull a form from something else that I have in my head with something else, and I'll form that together to make a product, as mm. opposed to I need a coaster and I'm going to design it this way. Mm -hmm. So I, I like forms and shapes and I like weird materials and I try to just experiment. Um, so basically I think I'm going to just keep doing weird stuff like that. And like, hope, hopefully I stumble upon things I like. Um, it's a very interesting design process. I, th I think, uh, um, Kevin, and I, uh, our Kevin was reading, uh, an architectural, uh, critic philosopher, Yuhani Palazma? Yeah, Hulani Palazma. Um, but I think it's really interesting because he used to hate writing until he, because, you know, you're kind of going to a point and so much of what we do in, in Western culture, what we're taught in school is that, you you know, you start with the end in, in mind and like you pick up a block of wood and you're going to make a stool <laughs> right. out of it. This is what you're going to do instead of just being more open-ended about exploring the block or exploring whatever you're you're talking about or doing and so and he does that with his writings is he just starts writing without the end in sight and uh, see where it goes yeah mm -hmm. really always, yeah i guess i've it. always been a stream of consciousness kind of uh kind of person so mm -hmm. it it i don't like uh exactly knowing where things end right so um if you do then you are designing for that end as right. opposed mm -hmm. to you know allowing yourself to like change things as, as you go 
Man, sometimes that's the hardest part of design is letting go of that that first conception. It's like I I had a conception that it's going to be blue, and now everything about this project really means that it needs to be red. But it has to be blue because that's how I originally right. conceived. Yeah, it. that is very hard, mm-hmm. very hard to do. Um, I think painting helped me um, uh, in my design education or whatever. Um, my mom was a painter, but uh, I had a one teacher in college that uh, was my 2D teacher my freshman year, and then I took another class from her um, individually about painting. But you you would get to a point in a painting where you were pretty good with it, and then you didn't want to push that boundary further. So you're like, I'm I like I like this, but I don't want to ruin this. Right. So there's like, a, I don't want to ruin this piece of art by pushing this further. And she sort of forced that on me. And so then I ruined a bunch of stuff. Uh, I took it way, way past what it needed to be. Um, and you have to take designs, your projects, way past the point where you're comfortable with it, ruin them, and then bring them back. And you have to do that enough times where you can sort of end up understanding when done is like when you're feeling good about something but you can't understand that until you've well past (laughs) the point of like no return on something right and um, but painting was how i learned that it's easy because you can just paint over something right like i messed that up i can paint back over that um but you're right like falling in love with an initial line or something like that and then not challenging that enough um, is a is a tricky thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what is it you're doing? Just take that to the extreme and pull back if you need to. Yeah. Because you're not exploring the full potential, and so much, so much of it, of of the iterations is just because you try something doesn't mean that's the answer. You know, it's it's part of the route to discovery of what something might be. You have to understand who you, yourself a lot too. Yeah, exactly. Like a, yeah. All all art design, all stuff is a big self exploration, understanding who you are and how you design, um, mm-hmm. and how you think about things. Exactly. And that that that's a maturity that just keeps happening throughout your entire life, right? Like I hope and, so. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, you design things, you take it around, you put it in different situations and you have to look at all of those and then you make your decisions then because like things sort of start looking weird, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and, and with furniture, especially if you're making it yourself like me, it can take me a couple of weeks or more to just get something built or to the first point. And I'm, sometimes sick of it by the time I even get there, <laughs> you know? And then, you know, when you're by yourself, you're like, this is a little bit crap now. Like what, this is terrible. Like what's happening, you know? And I don't even like this anymore. I don't want to look at you. Um, so it goes back on the fact that I like having a team of people to like reinforce either direction of that. Like, yep, that's terrible. Don't spend your time on that. <laughs> um, which is great. Like, I, you know, you put your, we were talking today and you're like, you put your soul into something, your design, right? Like your part of you is going into everything. And then as soon as it's done, you step back and you divorce it completely. You give it away to the world and then you, 
you know, you just let people think about whatever they want to think about it. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's so personal. Yeah, it, it has to be personal to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you have to divorce it immediately and then allow other people to critique it and not bother you. And, you know, they're all not all going to be nice. So this is terrible. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. But, uh, but, <laughs> yeah. but Tom over there really yeah. likes it. <laughs> cool. cool. Yeah, thanks, man. Well, thanks, thanks, guys. Mike. Yeah, that was fun. For more information on Mike and his work, visit GarminFurniture.com. A special thanks goes out to our guest, Mike Garmin, to our interviewers extraordinaire, Joe Rivers and Kevin Barden, and to everyone out there listening to Spork in the Road Podcast Season 3. This episode is written, produced, edited, narrated, and music by Scott Barden. For more information on Rivers Barden Architects, visit riversbarden.com.